Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Just as we get started, I do want to send a special thank you to my good friend, Chad McNeely, as he has been helping with the recordings of the last several podcasts, which is probably why, if you've noticed, there is a uh, sound quality increase. So thank you to Chad McNeely. And I will say, if you ever want Chad to be on the podcast with me, I've invited him nonstop. Please send him an email and encourage him to come on the Changing Faith podcast. I promise you it will be not only a great interview where we'll all learn a lot, but it will be hilarious. But with that said, today I'm thrilled to introduce you to another friend of mine or reintroduce you to my friend Ryan Taylor. Ryan is a pastor of Urban Mercy Church and chaplain of Network Coffee House, which is a hospitality house for Denver's chronically unhoused. Ryan and his wife Angela have two boys, Josiah and Micah, and live here in Denver, Colorado. Ryan, my friend, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Dude, it's my privilege yeah. to be with you. I said reintroduce you because yesterday I told you I didn't realize it was the second episode of the Changing Faith Podcast that you were a guest on. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Which actually, now that I think about it, means you were the first guest because the first episode was an explanation of what this podcast was going to be about. So today, I'll probably be kicking off something brand new <laughs> for you here in 2021. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, 73 episodes later. Here you are again. Wow. Well, congratulations on 73 episodes. That's yeah. impressive. It's been fun. That's great. <laughs> but anyway, as we get started, I always ask our guests, what would you like our listeners to know about you? Oh, boy. That, I, that I'm more than just a pretty face, Michael. I, I'm more than just this <laughs> handsome facade. Um, no. Uh, hmm. You know, I, I love studying the mystics. I love contemplative spirituality. I love theology that heals, mm. and I want to be about that. I also have a fifth grade sense of humor. I love dad jokes. I am an annoying Indiana Hoosier basketball fanatic. I love old school hip hop. On the yes. way home today, you could catch me listening to Wu-Tang Clan or Notorious B.I.G. Oh or goodness. The Far Side or something like that. And so I'm a, I'm a both and kind of person. I'm not an either or. I think God's in it all. Yeah. And so... I think that's what I would want you to know, what I would want your listeners to know about me, is that um, God's in it all. Yeah. Uh, what is a mystic? Man, that's a good question. And I think you can get a different answer from, you know, depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different response as to what a mystic is. But I believe it, it's, it's somebody who's spiritually attuned, who pays attention and who is aware that uh, the presence of God is available to us in the here and now. Um, and so keep your antenna up, mm. um, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, because the presence of God is unlimited. Um, so it doesn't matter what the circumstance, um, what the person, you know, who the person is, or what the, the, the graffiti looks like, or the element of nature the mystic is going to be, l be looking out um, for God's presence everywhere they look. 
Yeah. I, that, I, I think that's how I would respond to that. Interesting. And, and what do you, what draws you to that? What draws you to the mystics? Hope. Um, mm. I think we need uh, hope, especially here uh, in light of the last couple of weeks, in light of the last five years. Um, we need to be drawn towards God, God's presence, um, the, the redemptive presence all around us. And so I, I want to be trained in that way. Um, I, I want to follow those who see that, that redemptive presence in unlikely places. Hmm. Yeah, I need the hope, man. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, your book dabbles in this a little bit, or maybe a lot of it. Uh, you wrote a book titled Awkward Spirituality, which I love the title. Uh, and I'm curious, what, what led you to write a book? It's not an easy thing to sit down and just start um, taking these thoughts that have been within you, putting them on paper. There, there's someone who talks about writing is easy. It's manifesting uh, drops of blood from your forehead to drip onto the page. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, what led you to un uh, undertake this project? Well, yeah, I've, I've been... A Christian from the cradle, a Christian my entire life, and uh, people that are our age, we've been a part of quite a turning in Christian spirituality, um, quite a turning in society. Uh, and I, during pivotal seasons, during crucial seasons of my life, there have been authors that have shaped my trajectory mm. and have, have offered me that hope and direction um, that have shaped me to become who I am now. And, and so I just, you know, it's kind of been a dream of mine. I thought if, you know, if I could offer that someday, if I could offer a little window into some, some sense of liberation for somebody, then I would love to do that yeah. because of what authors have done for me. Um, and then this particular book, I, you know, I mean, throughout my, my history in the church, I think I see people running from awkwardness. I see people running the opposite direction from the feeling of powerlessness. Uh, but for me, that's been, the, the, that, that experience of awkwardness, that experience of powerlessness, that's been the most fertile ground in my spirituality. Those have been, you know, the, the flashbang moments of, you know, the epiphany moments or the, you know, the most transformative moments have been when I've walked into, uh, spaces, relationships in which I am not in the driver's seat and mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm in control. Um, and in my, in my work among those who experience poverty, marginalization, um, it's, it's a lot of work where I just do not have answers. All I have is my companionship and I feel this powerlessness. And, um, but it's been such fertile ground in my, my experience of intimacy with God. Mm. And so... That's why I wrote the book. Uh, yeah. You mentioned right at the beginning uh, of your response for people our age who've experienced a turning within not, not only our faith, but also in the world that we're living in. Then you mentioned some authors uh, that you've read. So I, I'm, I'm curious, what brought you from, uh, you grew up in Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about this in the past. We both grew up in a somewhat conservative, evangelical world. Um, what brought you from that place to the place that you occupy right now? Who are some of those authors? What are some of those experiences? Um, and, I, and I ask, maybe this would be helpful. I ask because 
I'm keenly aware that of my own um, my own tendency to be in the driver's seat. It feels really comfortable. I know what's going to happen. I know what the outcomes are. But something has led you to a place opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I mean, I could list off a bunch. The two, with the way you phrased the question, the two that comes to my mind first, the first would be Henry Nouwen Mm -hmm. and that arc, or maybe that, that downward arc that Henry talks about of him being a renowned uh, professor of religion and uh, at what, what Harvard and then Notre Dame, I believe, and and then he was a renowned Catholic priest, and and so he was being widely read and sought after as a speaker and as a scholar. And then he has a transition in life, and he takes this position uh, it, in one of the La Arch programs in in Canada, I believe, in which he's now a chaplain among mentally disadvantaged folks mm-hmm. and people that do not know of his books, people do, that could care less about his renowned uh, articulate speaking ability. Um, he's just sort of this irrelevant nobody. And so then it, that brings him into a different space with people and with God. And so that that downward trajectory of Henry Nouwen um, and the richness that came out of that, that drew me in. And I would consider him a mystic. Uh, so he had a huge influence on me. And his writing was so simple, too. Yeah. It, it was so accessible. It was these, you know, these, these beautiful ideas, but in a way that I feel like just about anybody could access them and receive them. So I loved Father Henry, um, you know, and then back around 2000-ish is when a, a guy that you and I both love, Brian McLaren, um, started oh, yeah. becoming uh, more and more known in, in uh, uh, I guess you'd call it progressive Christian circles, whatever they called that back then, the emerging church, the I guess. The emergent movement, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Um, but Brian uh, really was accessible for me as well and help put my feet underneath me again um, in terms of bringing uh, the, the, ancient, uh, the ancient version of the church in, into the present moment and being informed by that. And so Brian was a guy who I believe has been very informed by the saints and the mystics of old and saying, you know, this is very relevant for the moment, yeah. for the time. And, uh, and and caring for caring for the earth, caring for the other. You know, Brian brought all that stuff to my consciousness. And yeah. so, yeah, those those two white dudes I'd have to <laughs> name first in my in my story. Yeah. yeah, and I love that you mentioned in talking about Brian the the reflection on the ancients, because a lot of a lot of uh, well, in both of those writers, and in a, in a lot of you talk about the mystics. Um, it really is ancient. It's not this new thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost a reawakening of, of what has long been forgotten. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, and, and it does. It offers hope um, for what has been. You, yeah. you, in your book, toward the beginning of it, you write these words, quote, These days I'm an evangelist for wasting time among the irrelevant ones. 
as I've encountered the exterior and interior properties of my life. The towers of my ego continue to fall as Christ offers a terribly liberating truth that I am not the Lord of the universe, end quote. So talk a, a little bit about that. How do you spend and invest your time? Or as you would say, how do you waste your time? Uh, and you put that in quotation marks. And, and what, is, what does that do to you? What is it doing to you? What has it done to you? Well, that's fascinating. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the listeners of your podcast know what network is. Um, maybe just real quick, should I just give a quick yeah, snapshot of sure. the lay of the land of, of my, my work? Um, so I'm just two blocks down the street from here uh, of, of Denver Community Church, Uptown. Two blocks down the street in an old Victorian home that's been home to the network coffee house for going on 40 years. It was started in 1982. So I just came mm -hmm. around about 13 years ago and was so compelled by, by, by the, the environment, the atmosphere, the mission of it. So it's this, this old Victorian home in which the, the first floor was converted into a coffee house living room environment in which anybody and everybody can come into and, and enjoy a cup of coffee and just be, be in relationship with other folks, you know, read a newspaper, play a game of chess, have a conversation. And it, it's turned out to be primarily chronically unhoused, chronically mentally ill hmm. individuals that, that make up that community. And our only mission there is long-term redemptive relationships. So we exist as, as a hub for relationships. We, we, we exist as a, a, what would you call it, a surrogate family. I had a guy come up to me last week, um, run up to me crying, asking me when we were gonna open up and and have our regular hours again because we're we're kind of we're limited now due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And he said, "When are you guys going to open up again, man?" He goes, "You know, you you guys are my family, and this is oh. like my home." And so that is profound to me, but it, and it's not super uncommon to hear that this is my family. So we kind of we take the place of of people's family of origin in many ways over there, and we create a space for family. And so, like I said, I found it about 13 years ago. And it's been profound. I mean, it's pr been profound in terms of me as a, as a pastor and as a theologian, you know, armchair theologian, uh, and how I read the scriptures and how it's made the gospels kind of come alive to me in some very uh, interesting ways. You know, I, I used this illustration this morning with somebody. Um, did, did you ever watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up? You know, I didn't growing up. I did watch the film recently and couldn't believe I was robbed of that opportunity at such a young age. Yeah. Well, I, I, I loved it. Uh, I mean, I, I watched the film too, the, the recent film with Tom Hanks, and I thought it was great. But I watched it as a kid, and uh, I used this illustration this morning in a conversation with a friend that, like, as an adult, if you were to catch yourself watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know, you're channel surfing, you land on PBS, and you're on an old... Uh, program of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, you'd be compelled by it, but then the adult part of you might catch yourself and say, you know, this is kind of stupid. This is, this is kind of silly, um, you know, talking with puppets and, and you know, feeding the goldfish and, and things like that. But then there's that other part of you that says, no, actually, this is like, this is the building block of healthy humanity, mm. of, of paying attention 
to those childlike needs and, and, and just paying attention to, to the child and, and the child within. And, and I thought, that's, that's kind of network. That's the challenge of network. Mm. Um, because still, you know, like I said, I've been hanging out there for about 13 years, and I still have these moments where I go, this is sort of beneath me. Uh, or what am I doing wasting my time mm. um, here? with with these folks <laughs> as if i have something more important to do you know as if yeah. uh mm-hmm. you know there's a there's a a more important conversation or something more productive to do with my time and i go really ryan like that's <laughs> you, you're you're still doing that like there's something more productive than sp- than just sitting down and paying attention and receiving and giving, you know, having this this experience of mutuality with this precious soul in front of you. And so what does it do for me these days, man? It still is that that experience and that encounter that keeps my feet on the ground. Mm. that offers me humility and and this intimate exchange with Christ through some of his most simple sometimes traumatized and abandoned children. Mm. There's nothing like it for me. Um, and it does just draw me. It, you know, it, it, it forces me to interrogate my own belief. Uh, you know, if I'm going to say I believe this, then I want there to be this congruence between what I say I believe and what my, my lifestyle appears, you know, how my, you know, how my lifestyle manifests itself out of those beliefs. So it... it it's a it's like a daily interrogation of are you going to be congruent yeah with with the Christ that you say you follow uh today and uh, are you going to be humble enough to come down out of the heights of yourself and just waste time yeah you know in that way yeah when when i read that what one of the things that i was struck by is not just how you wrote it and you, you choosing the phrase wasting time but I know this question surfaces in me at times, and I, I'm sure even for some who are listening, of, okay, it's great to spend time, but what about the real pressing needs that some of these individuals have? And, and so you talk about, I, I might even be the first chapter, like I'm not here to fix you, um, but what would you say to someone like me who looks at that and goes, man, like I used to say years ago, we got to get solution side. That was my... I wouldn't even dive deep enough into the problem to understand what a real lasting solution would be. I just wanted to really move through the problem and pass it to get to a solution. But what would you say to someone like me who would say that and says it really from a place of genuine concern? Um, what, what, what goes through your mind with that? Of I'm not here to fix you. Or I'm here to waste time among the irrelevant mm-hmm. to someone like me. Well, we need people that are movers and shakers that want to get stuff done, that want to that want to see people who are stuck in poverty and that are, con- you know, continuing to layer on the trauma in their life. We need innovative, creative, brilliant minds to to tackle that stuff. And at the same time, I would say, while that initiative r- requires a lot of you, it doesn't require that that space of awkwardness and vulnerability you don't actually get down into the mire of mutuality yeah when you're constantly trying to fix something uh and it feels so 
good to not <laughs> to not be there, right? To not be in that mire. Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't want to be in that in that spot because I want I want to be in a place of competence and I want to feel like I'm accomplishing something. Damn exactly, it! Yeah. I think at the end of the day, that's what rolls through my mind. What was accomplished today? Mm. How productive was I? Oh man, I just had these goofy conversations with like four people, and <laughs> and feels and we did not change the shape of uh, we didn't fix anything. But what did it mean to those four people to be humanized and dignified hmm. in a way that they hadn't been in weeks or months or perhaps their entire life? Yeah. Um, so this place of mutuality, this place of like an exchange of, of tenderness and vulnerability, um, any, any path of rehabilitation starts right there because so many of the people we are working with are experiencing severe detachment, uh, severely cut off from family, severely cut off, and sometimes from from their own reality. Mm. And so, what they're what they're longing for, what the first question is, what does it look like to to offer a sense of attachment through this the simplicity of relationship and this, the simplicity of maybe some eye contact, maybe the exchange of a name, maybe the exchange of of the strategy of, of, of the Broncos offense or, or lack thereof, should we say, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, in their game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, all that, like to, to you and I, you know, that's water into the bridge. Yeah. But it could be the, the, the beginnings of, of a friendship yeah. that could be the most valuable thing in that person's life. Hmm. And so... Got to keep breaking it back down, you know, to that sort of childlike desire, that childlike longing to say, see me, yeah, know me, connect with me. And then, will you remember my name tomorrow when I come back in the door? Um, mm. Oh, wow, now we've got something, you know, we've got a connection. Yes. And uh, uh, I don't know, when I read the Jesus of the Gospels, that seems like something... Yeah, he wasted a lot of time, didn't he? He wasted a ton of time with knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with goofballs. Yeah. He might have been one himself. You know, it strikes me when you say that, um, you know, growing up in a, in a privileged situation as a kid, I was still a kid in, our, in, in my context in our youth group that I, I, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure like the youth interns in our church had like there was almost a silent competition of who's going to save Michael Hidalgo. Sure. And I remember one specifically. There, there's still that competition within your your peers here in the city. <laughs> Is that why you're here? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why, why I'm why here today. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt but you. There was one lunch in particular where I can't even remember what this individual said to me. Uh, and I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school. But it made my antenna go up and I said to him, who sent you here to have lunch with me? And it was a, it, it, it became in that moment incredibly clear that they were there to fix me, mm. there to save me. And it, it made me so angry. Yeah. And so even just hearing you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I doing this to other people? Yeah. How do I do this to other people? And when? Um, oh, that's a great challenge. Oh, man. we walk into every, <laughs> so many relationships with an agenda. Yeah. And we walk into every relationship with our insecurities. Yeah. 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 So what's it look like to kind of clear the room 
of that ego. And you can't do it entirely, but no. to see the person in front of you as somebody who's longing for connection and relationship and a smile or a hug or, yeah. you know, to talk about the Broncos. Yeah, just be seen, as you said. Yeah. You, you have a story in the book that was actually my favorite, um, and you talk about being seen. And it's about you going for a run, and then, I can't even remember what album you said you were listening to on your headphones, but you Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, there it is. Yeah. So you hear something, you stop the music, and you encounter a dove, and you have an experience, which I'll let you talk about. But then when you get home, uh, uh, one of your sons, as you're journaling about this or drawing this, I can't remember what you were doing, says, oh, dad must have seen God in that bird. And then you write, which I love, you said, I would have rephrased that by saying, I was seen by God in that bird. And I'd love mm -hmm. for you to, to tell our listeners about that story. And what do you mean by, like, being seen by God through a bird? Hmm. <laughs> yes, well, the story starts from a moment of severe despair. Hmm. You know, it was a very difficult season of life and um, and I think in the book I start the story off by talking about how it, it was like April I believe it was it was April and this was probably five five years ago or so and j just from the from the beginning of that new year to April our front window our front window of the network had been broken twice had been busted twice and then a back window had been busted once uh, you know, two of those by one of the guys that's kind of a part of our community uh, you know mentally a challenged guy and then one by an angry neighbor you know that came over and busted a window out and and so it was just one of the it was a saturday morning where i had i <coughs> it was a day after i had had a really hard exchange with that neighbor that busted our back window out and i'm what just was he angry about uh, um you know these junkies that ruin the neighborhood that we uh host <laughs> at oh. our at our place right um yeah and so it was, it was in the in the thick of all that, and I'm just flirting with severe despair, and I'm questioning like, do I really want to be doing this? Um, and I'm powerless. I I, f I feel so powerless to do anything about it. Uh, and it, it, you know, you ever have just one of those where the f the fog is so thick uh, with despair um, that you can't hardly lift your own head up, yeah. sort of mornings. And so I was just going to be a burden on my on my family that morning <laughs> if if I was in the living room. And so I decided <coughs> excuse me, the best thing for me to do would be to just to go go for a run, go for a hard run. So go change clothes. Do a quick stretch, put the earbuds in and yeah, it happened to be Kendrick Lamar's latest album at that time and uh which was appropriate, very appropriate for me. But I take off through the I had about a 3-mile track uh, in the neighborhood that I that I ran. And um and at the end of that three miles, I would stop at the Catholic seminary there because there was a, a, a Stations of the Cross. It's probably one of my favorite Stations of the Cross that I would slowly, quietly, you know, I'd cool down from my run and I'd, I'd walk those stations. And then there was a, a, a beautiful and gigantic sycamore tree that I would also just kind of stare at and try to allow that to reorient me. So it was one of those mornings and I finished up there at the Catholic seminary sycamore tree but I was still it, it didn't penetrate what I had going on that yeah. morning 
So I'm only about four, four blocks away from my house, and I'm, I'm walking towards home, and, and it was the cooing of a morning dove, which I don't know how, how I heard it because I still had the earbuds in. I still had the, the, uh, the tunes bumping. But I hear the cooing of the morning dove, take the earbuds out, and I look up, and it's directly above me on the, on the line above me. And we just had this little exchange. It was like, you know, when I say <coughs> it was like I was seen by God. Is that what I said through yeah. that bird? I was seen by God in that bird. Yeah. Well, it was like this sort of feeling of having the, a gentle hand tip my chin up you know, off my own feet and off the ground and lift your head up, brother, and now have this encounter with this seemingly irrelevant animal sitting on a wire above me. And it was just one of those sort of unexplainable moments of like, I'm I'm captivated right now. (laughs) I'm compelled by this thing. And uh, and then I remember there was a truck that came down the street and I'm like, oh shit, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to explain what I'm doing right now. Um, so I think I, I bent down and started tying my sh- acting like I was tying my shoe, and then the, the truck passed. And then uh, I, I look back up and uh, and I continue on with my exchange with this with this uh, with this morning dove. Um, but it was just one of those moments where I was I was stuck, you know. And 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 I think that's what mystical moments do. They they kind of un uh, unstick you yeah. <laughs> from your stagnation and your stuckness. I mean, I was in a pit of of despair that morning and and it was something so so easy easy to overlook something so simple and nature does this you know i mean wildlife does this if your <laughs> sunsets do this um your dog does this you know um, if you if you can take a moment to and, and sometimes you have to be forced into it and i feel like it was one of those mornings where i had to be i had to kind of be forced into a place of despair uh, to have this encounter. And and I was met with this tenderness hmm. from a dove. And uh, yeah, that illustrates a lot. There's a lot of theology packed in that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm curious, because I've experienced this too, uh, the moment where, oh my goodness, this person's going to see me and think I'm completely and totally bonkers so for you it's the truck rounding the corner so you drop down pretend you're tying your shoe yeah um well and it's that same it's that same uh sense of productivity and relevance you know in terms of like wasting time with the poor this is the goofiest thing i don't want to i don't want to have to explain that i'm i'm having some sort of intimate moment with a dove above me you know (laughs) to (laughs) some guy driving a toyota down the street you know yeah, I'm curious. I'd, I'd I'd love for you to dive into that a bit bit more deeply because I I recently had someone uh, around a similar conversation about you know nature and what nature can do and um, the quote was something. I- this is not exactly what it said. It's pretty close. Of you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Is what someone said to me, and I found myself backpedaling because this person was obviously not curious. It was more <laughs> felt like they were more concerned. But I look at myself and go, okay, why, why am I backpedaling? Or, okay, why is Ryan tying a shoe? And so I'd be curious, like, even maybe diving more deeply into that, wh- where do you, at least for you, where do you experience that coming from? 
Well, I mean, it's this is the whole reason for the that I wrote the book, right? <laughs> I mean, this is this is awkward spirituality. Yeah. It's it's that. Oh, I don't know that that weird sense of shame of like I'm gonna have to explain myself <laughs> that I'm in this this uh, I'm stuck in this transcendent moment here as I'm, I'm longing for this this place of intimacy with with Christ. How do you you don't just explain that you know in, in 140 characters to to you know everybody. It's it's a it's it brings you to that point of um, powerlessness, right? I don't know what to say. You know, I should have something to say. Yeah. You know, but it kind of brings you to that place where only silence can <laughs> explain uh, the gravity of the moment. Yeah. And uh, and maybe there's really nothing to say, and, I, and that's when I really get insecure. That's when we really get insecure. That's when I'm really going to feel insecure right now in this podcast with you, is you ask me a question, and I really don't know what to say. And that's when we start to, you know, not like ourselves very much, and um, and so it's that place, you know, where oh no, like silence is okay. That's the good stuff. Yeah. You know, that's that's where. <laughs> That's where movement takes place. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. I felt like I just went off there into a, a different spot. And maybe that's just me being insecure again. Yeah. <laughs> but well, and it's funny because silence itself is awkward. You're not supposed to have radio silence. There's nothing not worse. Exactly. Um, and you write about silence in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to get there. But, but I want to I ask one question. Um, this might be pers- too personal. I don't think it will be. But if it is, just tell me it is. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, I was seen by God through that bird. If you, you talk about you went home, and I think you said you were drawing this. You didn't write about it. You drew it. And I'm curious, what if you were to try to give words to the experience of knowing, there was a sense of knowing in what I read that you knew God saw you. What was, what did that do to you? What was that like? What emotions would you be able to identify as you drew that picture? Well, you know, there again, so I'm not, I'm not just writing down a bunch of words. I'm sketching out the scene on a notepad. And so it's like I don't have words yet to articulate the energy that, I just, that I'm experiencing in this moment. And it's like this slow evolution of something, something just happened. Something just broke open a bit. And I'm compelled. It feels like the, you know, the best I can do right now is maybe to try to sketch the scene of that, of the bird, um, the wire, you know, just the very ordinary electric pole, you know, the corner of a roof, you know, of a house there next to it. Um, That's the best I can do. But it does feel like this is deserving of being put on paper. uh, And maybe that'll help my process. And so it's just like this slow evolving, and you know, then maybe... Maybe some hours or days or weeks down the line, I could explain this. Or maybe there's some sort of quote or some other author or, you know, some sermon that will allow me to package this. But right now, I just know that this, there's some sort of generativity. There's some sort of connectivity that's going on in my spirit. And it's spirit. And the best we can do is kind of fumble around with, with uh, 
with some words, you know, or some references from the ancients, you know, from the saints or whatever. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a slow evolving thing, which again, you know, makes it awkward because we'd like to, I'd like to be able to explain it to you um, very succinctly and, and thoughtfully. Um, but sometimes it's, it's just <laughs> grabbing a pencil and sketching something down in a notepad and, and just having the awareness and the trust that I'm being held right now. So something larger is, uh, is taking place. There's a nurturing happening in this moment um, that I really don't know how else to explain. Yeah, that's really helpful. I, and I'm sitting here listening to you. And maybe if you are listening to the podcast, you're with, y you might identify with what I'm going to say. That I'm, I mean, I, I'm in a world of words. I'm paid to speak and mm -hmm. to do podcasts and write and you know, explain things. Yeah. Um, and yet, as I'm hearing you talk, there's a sense of a lot, like almost opening yourself up to the experience. And we live in a world that is so keen on explaining everything, sometimes to the extent where if you cannot explain it, then it holds no weight or value. And yet what I hear you saying is, no, 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 don't rush. Don't rush into that. Let it work you. Let it, let it sit with you. Let you sit with it. And at some point, you may or may not be able to eventually explain it, but that's not the point. The point is the, the internalizing, the experience, the work that it's doing to you and through you. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting because um, as a sermonizer as well, like we're we're constantly borrowing other people's words, yeah. Right, and so I think the that to eliminate some of the words out of our life and some of the explanations out of our life, uh, we're we're pursuing this sort of individuated imagination that creativity and generativity and healing comes out of. Yeah. Um, but I'm constantly, I, you know, guys like you and me are constantly guilty of. I mean, we're we're always borrowing and. And, and there's good stuff to that. I mean, we're, we're captivated by something this, this person said over here. And so, oh, yeah, I'm going to capture that, and I'm going to use that. And I'll, maybe I'll put it in my own words, but, but we're, we're constantly in this information age of words flying across our, our consciousness so constantly that it, it, sometimes it can be a real challenge to have my own individuated imaginative experience you know of, of whatever the fire that's coming out of my own soul and my own experience um uh, seems like sometimes words distract yeah uh, we're, we're trying to prevent that as much as possible to you know please don't be distracted by these words i want them to be helpful um but what we what we want to generate is is these distinct imaginations that come out of these individual imago days you know these images of god that have their own source of creativity and and healing to bring the world hmm. you you mentioned silence just a bit ago and i said we'd get to that and so you do write about silence uh in the practice of silence and i think while the dove is my favorite story in the book, the, the one line that really jumped out at me and, and might be my favorite line in the entire book is silence is God's native tongue. 
And I wonder uh, what part has silence played in your life and how have you practiced it? Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I, I didn't grow up in, an, in a neighborhood, so to speak. I didn't grow up in an urban area. I grew up very rural. Um, you know, my nearest neighbors were several yards away. And so there was a lot. And I was the third, the third child. I was the baby of the family. And the, my nearest sibling uh, is 11 years older than me. Oh, wow. And my oldest sibling is 13 years older than me. So there was a, I had a, a lot of silence growing up out in the country you know kind of like an only child so I was kind of um I was kind of conditioned for this and I, I think I had, you know I resented it when I was younger you know my friends were you know 15 minutes away in a, in a neighborhood and um but I've also you know very much grown to appreciate that country quiet and I think it's it it's integrated quite well. it's probably one of the reasons why I get such a kick out of the contemplatives, those who run off into the into the mountains to go be alone with God, um, because I was con- conditioned for that. Um, but I'll tell you now, I'm horrible at it. I'm, it, you know, it's it's m- if if I can be disciplined enough to grab myself a 20 minute sit in silence, it's the most humiliating part of my day, um, because mm. the it's not productive. You know, I. I you know, I r- we're in this age now. We're supposed to be as productive as we ever are in our life. You know, and so there's all this stuff and bills to pay and conversations to finish and projects to, that we want to work on. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I'm really bad at it. You know, that that time of deliberate, intentional, detoxifying silence, um, and to know that I'm, again, it's so awkward, right? And so to bust myself in that awkwardness and in that oh, this is awful. Uh, I'd rather be anywhere else. I'd rather be doing anything else than this right now. And then it's like, ah, this is probably the invitation then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) This is probably exactly where I need to be. Nowhere else right here, uh, you know, pursuing this endeavor. Yeah. And and so, uh, yeah, I talk a good talk. (laughs) And that's what it's all about. But it's still, it's such a challenge to... Um, to eliminate words, eliminate information, eliminate entertainment, and just kind of cleanse the lens, clean the lens, um, you mm. know, uh, so that we can see, yeah, you know, so that we we can have those moments with with the doves or with the person at network or whatever it might be, because um, those just don't happen when we're constantly, you know, talking uh, on, on the agenda of the next project. Yeah. So. I was reminded when you used the word productive that I think, if I'm remembering rightly, Jaco Lule in his book, The Technological Society, pointed out that words like productive, efficient, and now he didn't write this, but I, I imagine today he would write words like connecting, processing, um, that productive and efficient were never u- words used to describe human beings until after the Industrial Revolution when those words were adopted by humans but were initially used to describe machines and we think about connecting or i want to process these are words that were originally used for computers yes and now we're adopting them (laughs) to describe what we do yeah and i'm wondering is there something about living more as a a fully human being 
that silence offers to us. Yeah, I think so. But even even as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, sort of the wellness kick uh, and sort of the, the, you know, the Instagram wellness uh, uh, phenomenon. And, and, and even... I'm not familiar with that. What? Well, I mean, just, you know, being, being more fit, uh, pra oh, okay, practicing yeah. self-care, you know, that's, you know, all this stuff is like, it's still something that we're selling, you know, and <laughs> I'm putting out there on Instagram. Commodifying it, yeah. I'm commodifying, you're totally commodifying it. And so to, to really capture it um, means that I, I, I kind of am not going to care, w you know, if you give me props for it or not, you know, or, or a thumbs up on, on social media. Uh, what was your question? <laughs> Does silence help us be, uh, move, or live more fully human lives? Oh, man, that's a good question. Because like you're saying, it, it, it's not productive. You cannot measure. Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I've never, in the, in the moments when I do engage silence, I've never been done and been like, man, that was a good silence. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is kick, like, that, kick the I, ass of that silent yeah, time. I destroyed it. Yeah. And there's nothing I can point to and say, I accomplished this over the last 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. Or if I take a day of solitude, man, I, I'm coming back with all this stuff. Oh, dude, that is such a good question. Does silence make us more human? Is that how you said it? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm just like, how am I measuring up, dude? Am I superior or am I inferior? And, and that's oftentimes when I get when I get done with a deliberate time of silence, those things dissolve at least partially. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the frenetic pace, that frenetic metronome of tick 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 tick. You know, am I superior, inferior? <coughs> where, where, how do I measure up? Am I being productive? Dude, silence is that leveling the plane. F you know, it's that 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 leveling uh, practice. Yeah humanizing practice it is that's beautifully said it's it's a humanizing practice because we dehumanize one another when we're constantly competing hmm. and commodifying yeah oh that's beautiful years ago i i led a retreat and i had this idea that i thought would be really good it backfired <laughs> um I didn't let anyone in the in the group know um, that what I was going to do was read the uh, gospel portion uh, of scripture for that day, and then I took a cue from actually something I learned from Father Richard Rohr, where I just said, "We're going to sit with this for 20 minutes," and it was silent. So when I was done, when we were done, the the bell went off. And I said, well, how was that for everyone? And the, <laughs> the first person who responded said, if that had gone on for 30 more seconds, I would have killed you. <laughs> and everyone laughed. And she looked at me. And I saw when I looked back, I mean, she was furious. And she said, I'm not kidding. I would have killed you. And then everyone stopped laughing. And it was like this, oh, oh, my goodness. And I had this moment of, well, first, really should have <laughs> thought through um, what we were doing and probably giving some heads up to it. Um, but I'm curious, what would, what would you say? I, I know so many people who, and, and, I, and this is me too, I'm not saying like I'm beyond this. Silence is such a deep struggle. 
and I think it was Blaise Pascal that said something like, all of, all of humanity's problems would be solved if humans could learn how to sit for 30 minutes by themselves alone in silence. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, w- what is it about silence that can feel so terrifying and can get some people to a place where I, in my own blind spot, thought, man, this is going to deliver. People are going to love this, but led someone to a place of really like anger and fear. Well, what would you say to, to those maybe who are listening, or, and even to me who struggles with this, um, who feel that way with regard to the idea of silence. Yeah, that's interesting. Good, w- it makes me think of uh, a question that I asked. Uh, do you know Cynthia Bourgeau? Um, I've not met her, but I know she is. Yeah, sure, Wisdom yeah. Jesus is one of the books that she authored. She's one of the, the faculty members of the uh, Living School for Action and Contemplation down in Albuquerque. And the, uh, two or three years ago, maybe more, um, we started trying to practice three minutes of silence during the middle of our network shift. Hmm. And so we, we call everybody together and, um, and just say, you know, we want to offer this as a, as a service, you know, in the, in the middle of this bustling city and in the middle, you know, you're, you live your life out in public uh, in the noise and for everybody to, to see and for all the sounds to hit your ears. And so I thought it would be a, you know, a, a cleansing thing a refreshing thing to offer three minutes of silence and um and i mentioned that to to cynthia i asked her i told her you know that that we've started doing this and she said yeah don't do any more than that wow um i I would be careful uh and and i wish i'd known that (laughs) (laughs) it makes me think of the story you just shared because it it's it surfaces trauma i mean it it surfaces the stuff that that we don't want to see Mm. and so it's i don't think it's for the uninitiated and i think you've got to you've got to take it in small chunks i mean it's just like any sort of any other physical or athletic endeavor that you would do you know you're not going to go run a marathon tomorrow if you haven't been training for it and and i think just for the psyche you do have to be careful um you know, and I think about time, you know, I, I, f- I feel fairly psychically nimble, if that's a word. But I, I think about when I go off to the desert and I'll spend two or three days, you know, camping or whatever, and how how hard and terrifying that can be because all the, the shit that I've been processing or haven't been processing that my, that my deflective, uh, uh, you know, defensive nature won't allow in is now here in 48 hours of, of complete quiet mm. and dude you got to be careful with that yeah. you got to be ten- you got to be gracious and tender with that spot and so um yeah you can't slam into silence mm. um it's got to be cultivated and you got to give yourself grace i think it's a discipline that you know that you need to go after but i think you also have to give yourself a lot of grace or it kind of defeats the purpose because yeah. it's a it's a, nurture, a nourishing and nurturing, um, it's meant to be, it's intended to be uh, a nurturing practice, um, but you've got to be careful with it and how, and, and how we invite people into it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like anything else, like we've got to be practicing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think it, we, wanna, we want that, that cool hit of, of the thing that's going to fix. And if silence is it, baby, hey, let's all do this. You know, but no, it's got psychic um, implications 
you know, deep psychic Im implications to it of how it brings up those things that um, sometimes we're not quite ready for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I said jokingly, I wish I had known that, but I actually yeah. am dead serious. <laughs> and if you, by the way, if you're listening uh, and you ever do come on something I lead, we'll, <laughs> we'll adjust that because what we, what we actually did, um, and I'm sharing this from, it was like real-time learning because it turned into a pretty intense conversation, mm -hmm. is the next day I said, hey, we're going to do this again. But some of you, you might need to walk outside. So the rule was, the rule, like I'm in charge. My suggestion was, don't speak to another human being for 20 minutes. And half the room, this woman actually ended up giving voice to the people who didn't feel comfortable saying, I, I was going to kill you. But like half the room got up and left. Um, some people just sat outside on the, on the porch and looked at the mountains. Other people went for a walk. But it was just this, like, okay, we're cool with the 20 minutes, but... Don't just make a sit here alongside, like in a room filled with people we just met. Um, but that's a good word. Three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, it, it has its place. Yeah. I also think it's it's super awkward to lead others in that because you're constantly, you know, or at least I am, like self-conscious of like how they're how they're processing it, how they're perceiving yes. it. Yes. Because. I, I'm Are they not peeking? In Are they looking at me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody, raise your hand if, and step forward. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's. Well, I'm not in. You know, it's it goes back to that idea of uh, I'm I'm gonna gonna withdraw control. Yeah. Right now, you yeah. know, you know, if you're used to being in control of the room and and leading discussions and preaching the sermon, and you say I'm gonna actually withdraw myself from that. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. And we're here and, you know, mutually we're going to engage this silence together. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it takes some, some development, some buildup to get to that yeah. point to be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm well known for going to my next logical step <laughs> and expecting, like, just assuming everyone else is there. Like, what? <laughs> that's right. And then, of course, I'm always like, well, what's wrong with you? Exactly, um, yeah. Because that's really re yep. self re good, some good self-reflection. What's yeah. your problem? Yeah. Oh, man. What, uh, what do you hope people take from the book? What do you hope people walk away with? Uh, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> what I'm supposed to say. Actually, in some ways, the awkward, I don't know, is almost perfect. <laughs> Maybe I, you know, I I want to provoke people to, to move. Uh, to 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 move towards the heart of God. And which means pay attention to your own heart mm. and your own longings. And you you're in a place of self. Just just assume that you're in a place of self protection right now. So if this writing, if this book, if this project could allure you to stepping a little bit beyond that self-protected self, uh, to put your guard down a little bit more, mm. um, to experience the awkward, and then not run from it, but know, oh, if I'm feeling uncomfortable, if I'm feeling powerless, and I'm especially speaking to the white, educated, middle-class, evangelical, post-evangelical person here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm kind of assuming that that's my audience, and I'm inviting 
you, I, I'm, I'm hoping to provoke you into moving a little bit further into that unguarded, unvarnished, unself-protected space uh, where God dwells. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, well, and I can say, as, as a reflection back to you, and not just because we're recording, um, and even for those listening, that, that's how I felt reading it. Because I know, in ways that are even unknown to myself, all the guardrails I've put up to keep myself comfortable, if I'm honest. And this book was like, oh. Um, but what I appreciate about it, and I've appreciated about you, and I actually went back and looked at the notes from our first, uh, the first podcast, or the, the first, you being the first guest, is I talked about that you have a way of inviting people um, where it doesn't feel threatening but it's definitely challenging. Hmm. And I appreciated that about the book. It's inviting. So for those of you who are listening, this is an inviting book, but na- make no mistake, you'll be challenged by it. Um, and there's something about the way that you write and live and speak of you're sharing, you're sharing about what's going on with you. And just in your own process, you're inviting those people to go, I'd love for you to join me in the process. Um, so thank you. Thanks oh for the way man. you wrote the book. and That's really reassuring. The way you've, you. way you've communicated this. So where can people find the book? So right now it's just on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, so you gotta, you got to go support Jeff Bezos. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, so it's, it's just on Amazon right need. now. What's that? He has needs. <laughs> Absolutely. Poor guy. Uh, yeah, it's just on Amazon right now. So. Okay. And where can people find you online? Well, I'm on the Facebooks. And uh, <laughs> the, the Instagrams, and uh, I, I I do not blog frequently, so I, I'm hesitant to to uh, to point you to my blog because it might be like two years old. The last time I posted. <laughs> well, you've been ri- busy writing this. Yeah, I might yeah. start that up again. Um, but yeah, love to connect with you um, on the the interwebs. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, I, I really do. Uh, desire to see some some um, community and discussion come from this and so I would be uh, very willing I'd, I would welcome the opportunity to sit down over a cup of coffee or whatever Bev Ridge and uh, and have conversation if any of this does provoke any of you listeners so brilliant yeah. brother thanks for being here on the on the podcast yeah, thank you. Appreciate you wasting time. <laughs> this has been <laughs> such a waste of my time. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, and uh, thank all of you for uh, who wasted time with us today. Uh, all joking aside, my prayer is that we would be and become those who grow in our curiosity, that we would be those who move toward the spaces and the places that are unknown and mysterious and maybe even a bit frightening for us so that we would learn and we would grow into a more mature, or maybe I should say a more awkward spirituality. So thanks again to Ryan for being with us here today and to all of you for joining with us. That is it for today's episode. So until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.